0: Welcome to Untaming Leadership. I'm Mikina
1: And I'm Sam Allen. And we are both leadership coaches and trainers with a passion for transformation.
0: Our mission is to grow conscious and inspiring leaders and to dive deep into the very heart of leadership.
1: Tune in for your bi-weekly fix Of wisdom and inspiration from diverse experts
0: in the field. Team ready? Hello, everyone, and welcome back after our summer break. We're super excited to start today with a new episode, which we're very excited to tell you about, all about it, right, Sam?
1: We are indeed, Magena, because today we are going to be exploring the toxins that we sometimes find in our relationships. So those behaviours that we tend to go to when we're feeling triggered, when our ego pops up, and that make us make choices that perhaps don't particularly help the relationship, even though we kind of feel like we don't know what else to do. So we're going to unpack those and we're also going to give some tips as to how we can
0: best deal with ourselves in relationship when those triggers arise so we're gonna specifically focus on these four toxic behaviors which are actually uh, referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse which is a metaphor depicting the end of times in the new testament and they describe you know conquest war hunger and death respectively but it's more this metaphor to describe these communication styles that uh, can predict the end of relationships. So, do we want to say which ones they are, Sam? I think we need to
1: divulge these right now, McGinnis. So, yes. <laughs> one of the first ones that comes to mind, you know, immediately is blaming. You know, that toxin—the pointing the finger, the um, harsh start-up in conversation. You know. You did this. You're that. Often, it, you know, this blaming thing can actually lead
0: to um, labeling somebody, labeling their character. You know, criticism, blaming is very much this. Instead of offering a complaint or voicing complaint, we actually blame and we attack and we offer a critique. So it's like, as you said, it's this at home and attack. Like we're attacking the personality, right? Yeah. It's quite a difference between. The criticism versus the the complaint. And um, so basically, when we're criticizing, it's this attack. It's this harsh startup. It's the you-you, as you mentioned. Uh, whereas when we're voicing the complaint, is very much that I'm coming from myself. Like I'm the I, right? So something doesn't sit well with me. Like there is something that is not right. So it's my experience that I'm starting from me. So starting... Yeah. I instead of you. Yes.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just to say that sometimes we can lapse into blaming because we feel hurt, because we feel triggered, and it's almost like a slightly primitive response. So, as with all of the toxins that we're going to unpack today, um, just to normalize that um, we all go to some of these behaviors all of the time so um you know the, the aim of today is really just to shed some light as Magena was saying on this um so that you can best understand how you could act differently
0: yeah exactly and it's not said that well just because there is blaming or there is criticism that the relationship is doomed to fail <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's there and the more we become aware of it the more we um we see that conscious choice that we have to change it and do something that works, because if the blaming, for example, continues, you know there there is um, there is more space and there is more uh, environment to to grow the other toxins, which can be far deadlier than than the blaming. Which one actually is contempt? Yes. Hopefully this is a little bit misunderstood of what what that actually is. So contempt is, uh, as they predict, is actually one of the Uh, worst toxic behaviors because if it's present it can predict divorce especially in relationships but we're not talking just romantic relationships here right we're Mm. talking in more general terms and even if it's present in in teams uh or at workplace right and and what exactly is contempt Sam Mm. yeah
1: so when I think of that toxin contempt I think also of like having a slightly morally superior view in that moment you know I kind of know better so there is a slight element of arrogance and superiority in it Um, it implies a looking down on um, even like semi-disgust in that moment you know Um, and what I also notice when I connect with that is that there's a kind of separation isn't there you know there's there's me the person that's right looking down on you and we're not we're definitely not on the same page here
0: Absolutely, as you said, there is a lot of this, especially in body language. When we, you know, there is the eye rolling, there is the scoffing, there is Mm -hmm. the exactly place of arrogance, or you you assume this position of that moral superiority. And in teams, how it usually shows up, or at workplaces, there is a lot of gossip, and there is there is a lot of disrespect. So at the base of it, the contempt is you're not respecting one another, and there is this bullying as well this demeaning behavior and this yeah taking a position as you also mentioned of superiority so that's why contempt is very dangerous in that Mm -hmm. sense because you're not treating people with respect you're really taking this position of i am better than so putting yourself in that box that i'm better than
1: yeah it's a dangerous box isn't it and also, what can come with this is sarcasm, right? You know, and sometimes, you know, I know as a Brit, we, we are quite sarcastic in our humor. And, you know, a lot of the time that's just fun and lighthearted. But now and again, um, this can be used, you know, in a way that's almost disguised contempt, clever contempt. Only it's not really that clever, right? <laughs> because it's not having the impact that, you know, the other person deserves to have. And it's not supporting the relationship. So, yeah, it can come in many guises, I would
0: say. Yeah absolutely so one of my favorites actually (laughs) and which i actually have found myself quite a lot not recently but that used to be my go-to toxic behavior which is stonewalling stonewalling is a lot about this disengagement this withdrawal from uh, from what is happening and if i tell about my experience with it usually. It's like when I withdraw and when I'm, I'm stonewalling, it's usually because I think in my own experience is that I've done everything possible to explain and share where I am. And I'm at my limit. I cannot anymore. Right. And I'm so overwhelmed with emotions. And I'm also very <laughs> sensitive and have um, high intensity of emotions. So In that sense, when I'm completely overwhelmed, I feel like I can't do anything else but to withdraw. So it's for me, it's very much it's a protection mechanism when I withdraw. So I can I can find my ground, I can find my peace and then come back a little bit stronger to deal with uh, with what's present. But I think sometimes where it goes wrong is that. I'm in that state of withdrawing for a very long time, like used to be. Now it's, it's that, that period has shortened, it has shortened more and more. I used to stay so long that I actually didn't remember what I was, what was I mad about, what the issue was. So yeah, there's a time and space of how much we can withdraw. But I think there is a timing for all of this.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. It makes sense, McGinn. And I also love the playfulness you're having around that as you share that, you know, just the fact that, yeah, it's a go-to behavior. Some parts of it serve, some parts of it don't. And, um, you know, you can lapse into that. Um, And actually, when you were sharing also, I was thinking about the word stonewalling. And, you know, you mentioned the word protection or protecting. And if you think about a big stone wall, like what bigger protection is that? is there than that you know and so yeah i see how there is almost like a a, um slightly self-compassionate part to this thing you know i can't take any more so i'm doing this you know it may not work it may not be really great for me or for the other person but it's it's the only way i know right now to be
0: self-compassionate towards myself yes and right definitely there is self-compassion and i think where it goes into toxicity it's when (laughs) When, they're, when I used to and I've seen other stonewallers in the sense that we put a brave face and it's like no there's nothing and then there's so much of that passive or passive aggressive behavior that shows yeah, yeah. definitely that there is so much going on and I think underneath there is also this fear of going into conflict and fear of, of abandonment so there's a lot of fear as well that goes uh with with stonewalling
1: yeah I understand I understand that and um I know, you know, stonewalling in the workplace, for example, um, that element you were talking around the passive aggressive that can actually show up in in ways like, you know, um, instead of going directly to the person that you need to have the conversation about and having a, you know, colleague to colleague conversation with that person can mean, you know, going around the chain of commands, going to somebody else to talk about that person and, you know, not being direct. Right. There's a kind of like indirectness about it, too.
0: Yeah, exactly. There is the avoidance. Definitely, because I think stonewallers were also scared of uh, taking up conflict. There is, um, so there is a lot of avoidance behavior here.
1: It's interesting how we protect ourselves. And um, I know, you know, going back to the blaming just uh, quickly, that probably would be my go to, I guess, blaming and defensiveness, which I know we're talking about later on. But when I feel hurt and threatened, um, I probably go more into the, I want to do something about this, you know? <laughs> You're not going to get away with making me feel like this. So I think I my tendency would be to lash back out. And, you know, what's behind that for me is that the sooner we have this out together, the sooner we're on an equal kind of place. But actually the manner that I do that when I'm triggered is not necessarily bringing those results because it's too much of a harsh startup, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your uh, stonewalling is probably my blaming in that way. And um, yeah, it's all about, isn't it, having the self-awareness around that and actually spinning it around so
0: that you can um, use more productive behaviors to deal with relationships. Mm. It's funny because when I've been on the receiving side of blaming, Mm. very much what is activated in me is definitely the defensiveness. Yeah. It's like a response to blaming and to me uh and what that defensiveness is really trying to be helpful is in this case right yeah it's very much uh that i am trying to be heard feel understood yeah and also not not trying to make excuses but it's it's really because i feel like I'm being blamed for something that I haven't done and of course when I find myself in that position actually I feel very blocked and I feel very not open to any influence or anything it's just and yeah. I don't see how my part is in it because I'm I'm so much in a in a reaction mode trying to defend myself so interesting yeah and and
1: (laughs) makes me think then about my response when I get stonewalled because probably out of the four that's the one that is the most difficult for me to be with because I literally talking about that stone wall it's almost like a cave right I feel like I'm so shut out I feel so much disconnection and abandonment that um this leads me into a really really um frustrated and powerless place in myself um, and then, yeah, I guess my reactive behavior to that would probably also be defensiveness because there were, there's a certain element of you know, victimization that I feel when I have stonewalling done to me, you know? So what I'm noticing, and it's super interesting to have this conversation, is that it seems all of these provoke another response that's equally as reactive, you know? So the toxins are kind of contagious in a way.
0: For me, what's really interesting when we're discussing this, it's also seeing different perspectives of your yeah. experience and my experience when we are in our reaction uh, behaviors, right? It's like getting a glimpse of your reality when you're in blaming or when you're uh, in defensiveness or, or when I am in my stonewalling and the impact it has on the other people. And I can make all the right Uh, reasons and justifications of why I'm there you know and and seeing also only my little world of yeah this is how I am now so I need to take care of it and sometimes it's uh it's so needed to get out of that little world and then see hey what's my impact actually in relationships being in this position so I think that's really important to see and become aware of.
1: I feel the same and when you were talking about stonewalling I mean you shared some of this with me before but when you talk about your personal experience as to why you do it that helps me understand that behavior more and it actually softens my heart to that behavior somehow because i realize where it's coming from you know so it's it's really kind of um
0: an eye opener i think into how we how we operate yeah but i think that's really necessary to understand because it's also one of the antidotes in a way especially for the stonewalling, it's very much like, yeah, I'm overwhelmed, I'm filled with emotions, I, I'm i out of resources, right, so for me, it's very necessary to break for a while, right, yeah. like, find that ground, find that space, find that breathing, whatever it helps to find myself again a little bit, or even get a little bit more perspective on what's happening, because sometimes things happen so fast that, <laughs> you know, I freeze and, and don't make sense of things immediately. So I need that little bit of distance to um, to make sense of things, right? Yeah. And to feel what's, yeah. uh, what actually is really going on. So I think it's necessary that break for stonewallers. And as I said before, it's also important, you know, how long this break is, because if it goes too long, then it's uh, it's counterproductive
1: um yeah and i mean i know another aspect of you know actually um taking a more empowered place when you are you know traditionally somebody that stonewalls is also making sure your voice is heard you know and that you're speaking up um um because your voice you know is a big part of the relationship (laughs) you know it's there are more than one voice in a relationship um and so being heard in that way and making sure that you you know you speak up actually starts to open up the dialogue and you know ensure that the relationship functions again right
0: yeah but what do you think from your experience with stonewallers Mm. what do you think the right time would be right to come like how long should this break be (laughs) i love that question (laughs) you're probably
1: asking the perfect or the imperfect person for this. <laughs> like from from me as somebody that just you know I virtually never stonewall it's not a behavior I go to um, I'm such an immediate person so like I was saying previously you know when it's done to me oh my gosh like I freak out I hate it it makes me feel disconnect and that makes me feel fear and all the rest of it so from my selfish point of view as a non-stonewaller like my gosh please don't leave it more than a couple of days you know (laughs) if if we're in a close relationship and uh you know you're needing to go to that place in you like short as possible please you know because from my perspective you know when people stonewall me um and it goes on for weeks or months or something like that 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 for me actually on a, a serious level is eroding the connection and the danger is, you know, as I'm somebody that often goes towards and I'm quite responsive and um, yeah, immediate, when a process is long, slow and drawn out, then it starts to break something for yeah. me, in that relationship. So there is that danger in all seriousness of, you know, if it goes on too long, um, you know, how do we then get back because something's beginning to break?
0: Yeah, I love that. Actually, for me, it would be even less than two days. Like mm. if you if you just take, uh, you know, an hour or two or an afternoon, and then come back and discuss, uh, that would be feasible, right? Yeah. Because if it goes too long as well, it's I think you, we start usually to overthink, make things worse than what they are and also make up different scenarios i'm a master at that (laughs) (laughs) a lot of possible scenarios of what's going on without actually uh, clarifying with the other person or persons involved so so i think it's it's necessary to have a little bit that space but come back as quickly as possible
1: yes yeah i completely agree with that what also can help by the way is um if someone needs to stonewall. That they say to you, hey, I need some space right now. I can't do this. I will be back. You know, because it, it, I feel like what can happen with the stonewalling is the fear can come in like, oh, that when's that person going to actually come back into relationship with me? So that can that can create fear, you know, so uh, uh, the articulation of the need to have space to process, which I think is what's really wanting to happen behind the stonewalling can actually really help to keep a sense of safety in the relationship whilst also you know protecting the needs of both parties
0: absolutely i think that would be the wisest thing to do and also <laughs> if you could at that moment but i mean knowing for myself because i am in such high emotional charge <laughs> That, that it's difficult to articulate sometimes. But I, I usually would say, you know, I just need five minutes. I, I can't deal with this now. And in yeah. five minutes. And that when we are in a calm place and in a ground place, when we're not in conflict or when we're not in those positions, it, it would be really advisable to actually has have, have some ground rules in terms of when I'm there and I say this, you know, like that's my indication, right? That's yeah. what it, so respect that yes. uh, don't like something else uh, mm-hmm. so so it would be really nice to have some kind of agreement around those moments love what you're saying there and it
1: you know it points to open communication you know because we are going to do things and choose behaviors that trigger each other in relationships so the more we can actually come back and actually align and say this is what I need this is what I'm feeling right now and almost like, you know, strategize together is the best way to deal with both of those needs,
0: the more healthy the relationship's gonna be. Yes. So when it comes to the blaming, what can we do when when we find ourselves actually that we tend to go into blame or into criticism quite a lot? Yeah. So what what would really help here?
1: Yeah, I think one of the key things in um, actually turning around the kind of blaming toxin is actually replacing the complaining part with a request, because behind complaints is usually an unmet need, you know, so actually, you know, taking that pause and realising, gosh, this person is making me really cross and I'm criticising them because basically deep down, I need them to respect this, you know. So then you make a request based on that um, and that, you know, learning how to make the request brings you more into a um, yeah proactive place in yourself rather than a reactive place.
0: Yes, beautiful. And, and as you said, definitely needs and feelings. Mm. And what I find with blaming is very much this. You mentioned it, open communication. Uh, I find curiosity would really help here in terms of, you know, going into this blaming mode, coming from that place of really being curious, like what has happened here? What's going on? When we're in a blaming position, right? It's, we assume a lot of stuff, or at least we have our own reality and truth of things. And we come from that place. Yeah. And it's interesting to go a little bit. And we, in the sense that we only have our own truth. But if we come out a little bit of that and see, okay, like, what's your truth? What's the whole truth here? So becoming curious into what has really happened with you instead of me assuming some things that I don't know. Right. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think curiosity is key. In fact, probably with all of them, really, to be honest, you know, because when we're in a curious place, we don't assume we know everything. We are actually watching what's evolving and, you know, trying to find out more.
0: Yeah, exactly, and the same thing as goes for defensiveness. Yeah. So really? When we are being accused, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, or well, uh, blamed and criticized, it's very much instead of we going into defensiveness, stepping a little bit outside and saying, "Hey, what is this about, really? Like, what has happened? Tell me. Tell me more." Right. right. I remember one case when I was in um, I was leading a workshop. Uh, actually a program, and and there was one participant, at the end I usually do like a wrap up, and uh, and then she, she said a word, she said, because I asked like, what's one word that you're taking away, and she said, boring, never okay. in my life have I experienced that, so I went immediately into defensive mode, I'm very happy to see that, okay, I've done some part of the work, <laughs> so I stepped out of it, and I just asked her, so yeah, tell me more about it, like how, mm-hmm. How is it for you? And that opened up for really some discussion, which definitely I, I don't say that it's a 100% truth. And it was her experience. So for me, stepping out of that and not being defensive, but seeing, okay, that's her experience. So what's 2% truth that, that I can take away from this that could serve me for my future workshops or programs? So, so that was very necessary. And, and I'm very happy that I did that because also if we act in defensive mode you also put the other person in a more blaming mode so it's it's like it's very contagious right so it goes yeah. into, it <laughs> goes into a conflict afterwards totally
1: i love what you're sharing there and by the way i do want to acknowledge also the courage that you had in that moment because you know when we're leading something and we're in that position it can be super easy to be triggered by that type of thing you know and to actually have had that kind of presence to take the pause to see it for what it was and get curious and to be that conscious in that moment you know that that's not an easy thing so yeah I think it's amazing that you were able to do that
0: thank you absolutely yeah. takes a lot of courage
1: the other thing about defensiveness is when I think of it it feels like a hand that's pushing something the other way you know it feels like it's like taking the focus off of yourself completely <laughs> and pushing it away And I think something that can really help with that is actually to assume some responsibility for what's happening, you know, actually not saying, no, that's not mine, pushing it back, but actually looking again with that curiosity at what your part is in it, which isn't everything, of course, because we're always co-creating in relationship. We're always both having an impact, but, you know, taking back a little bit of sense of responsibility and not pushing it immediately back onto the other person.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that definitely takes a lot of listening because sometimes we are put into positions or with people that are not very good at delivering. I wouldn't say blaming, but even delivering like a message back or a feedback or or something that they would like to communicate better. But that also comes with triggers, right, that you were talking as well. So, so important, especially when we find ourselves in this triggered place to, to see or sometimes even read between the line and not take things personally. yeah. But of course, assume responsibility. And I think that takes a little bit later um, or it comes a little bit later. That moment, if we can just listen for what is there for me to take and or what's there for me to learn from this or what, what's there for me to improve. And, and maybe also listen for the needs of the other person, because sometimes we, we're really bad at delivering, uh, you know, any type of feedback or criticism or constructive criticism, as they would call it. But if we can listen behind all the words, what are really the needs here? Mm. That
1: takes um, vulnerability. It takes big heartedness. And um, sometimes those two things are super difficult to access when we're triggered and yet when we manage that when we manage to see this person saying that this is really triggering me this is intense however i can see this is how they're feeling deep down and this this is what their needs are when we actually manage to do that bit we start to make massive changes in relationship you know so i think what you're pointing to there is super important and it does take a sort of maturity of being sometimes you know to actually find that place in yourself
0: yeah True, true that. So we left the, the hardest for last. <laughs> yeah, we did indeed.
1: <laughs> and it's all about the contempt, right?
0: Yeah. So I've also had some work to do with contempt. I think at the base of it is respect. Like mm. if we learn how to first respect ourselves and also respect other people.
1: Yeah.
0: So I think it's quite, quite important, that part of respect. And and that comes definitely with a lot of personal work. Yeah. of well, seeing Absolutely. that we're not, we're not in that better than box. And we're not also in that less than box. Mm. But treating, treating really seeing people on eye level.
1: That's the thing. And you know, the remembering that deep down, we're all human beings doing the best we can. And and actually, for me, this the antidote to contempt is based around shared humanity. You know, I'm a perfectly imperfect human being screwing up sometimes, not getting it right with you all of the time with my own fears, wishes, desires, dreams, struggles, you know, and and this is how I'm showing up with you. And and I think that when we start to appreciate that humanity in one another in that way, um, then
0: almost anything is possible. I love that. I love that. I think a huge um a big part here is also self-compassion. A big antidote. Yeah. Why do I say that? Because it's it's like knowing where you are. Like the first step is definitely realizing and becoming aware that okay, <clears throat> these are some behaviors that I do, right? And and while change this or while become even more aware of this there is a lot of compassion and love that I'm showing to myself mm. and um and not only to myself but also to other people when we see that right because sometimes it's because we're not aware that we're doing the things that we're doing so I think self-compassion is a huge uh, antidote serious.
1: I remember um when I first lost my dad I remember you know really um having this point in time where i had to kind of reframe the way i was talking to myself because i was going through all these strong emotions at the time and um yeah i realized i needed to develop basically a more self-compassionate voice and i read the book you know kristin neff um self-compassion she's also done a follow-up since i think it's called fierce self-compassion and um from that point, I started to realize just what you're saying, how important it is to develop an inner dialogue that is supportive and caring and loving towards myself, whatever the outside external circumstances might be. So I think you know everything we've shared today in this podcast episode around these toxins, all of it <laughs> is to be normalized that it exists, to have patience with in ourselves and in others, And above all, to be faced into with that self-compassion.
0: Beautiful. Well, well, we went through this four toxic behaviors and their antidotes. So if you have any questions or anything that you would like to share your experiences uh, or if there is something that you want more clarification on, so you're very welcome to contact us so we're really looking forward to hear from you and uh, keep up the great work thank you
1: for listening to this episode of untaming leadership
0: are you a leader keen to share your take on leadership
1: want to offer your organization the chance to participate in one of our Experiential Conscious Leadership programs.
0: We would love to hear from you.